like I said, we're starting a new series today. We're talking about the table. And um, how many of you grew up with family dinners? Anybody? Yeah? A few? Yeah? Okay. How many of you grew up that the dinner table was the spot that you had serious conversations uh, as a family? Yeah? Um, that's how our family was when we needed to have a, like, moment or really just whenever we were in trouble, to be honest with you. Uh, that's where we would go to, uh, to talk at the dinner table. But there's some things that I've learned about a dinner table, and I wanted to share with you with that this morning. I wrote this down. What I love about a dinner table, it doesn't care what race you are. It doesn't care how much money you have. It doesn't care about your 401k doesn't care what size or shape you are, doesn't care how popular you are, doesn't care about your political views, doesn't care about your achievements, and it doesn't even care really if you love Jesus or don't love Jesus. When you come to the table, the table just accepts you for who you are and where you're at in life and on the journey of life. And I really believe that I learned this um, from my dad. And I'll put a picture of him. Up on the screen, look at that old man right there. He has become a softy over the years. <laughs> he was a lot harder when we were kids, but he's granddad now, and he's a great guy. And I'll never forget this moment in my life. My dad had a friend, and his name was Reggie. And uh, Reggie was black, and Reggie would come on over to our house. And, and I remember the thing that stuck out to me so much about Reggie was that Reggie, like, really didn't love Jesus. And honestly, like, um, a couple of my brothers are here today. I mean, Nate would remember, like, Reggie would come over with, like, different girlfriends at times. And, you know, we'd be like, oh, who's your new girlfriend, you know? And, and, but I'll never forget that when Reggie came to our house, I remember this stuck out in my heart so deeply, that Reggie was always welcome. I remember times where Reggie would just pull up. We had this long gravel driveway, and I think he had this, like, red, maybe, like, Firebird car or something like that, if I remember right. And we'd see Reggie coming up the driveway. We all loved Reggie. Reggie was so much fun, and, and we had a great time with him. And I remember Reggie would come up the driveway, and we wouldn't even know that Reggie was coming over, but it really didn't matter. Because when Reggie came over and whoever was with Reggie, they were welcome. They were always welcome at our home and welcome at our table. I remember like growing up having, we had Asian friends, Indian friends, Hispanic friends, black friends, white friends, and didn't matter. As long as they were with us, they were welcome in our house. I remember our friend Mukul Varvel, okay? And uh, I mean, Mukul was the greatest kid ever. And I remember like Mukul would just walk into our house. Our friend Wade would just walk into our house. Most of our friends would never even knock. We had our door unlocked all the time. I mean, people would walk in at like, I don't know, 11, 1 o'clock in the morning sometimes. Like sometimes we'd wake up the next morning and I'd be like, oh, hey, Mookul, you spent the night last night, you know? He's like, yeah, you know, I, was, I just wanted to come on over to the Carter house. And... But the reality was this, is that when you came to our house, and you sat at our table, it didn't matter if you were really family. It didn't matter that you were blood or not. When you came to our house, you were welcome. And you got to sit at our table, and you got to be a part of the family. 
I remember I really, truly believed that I learned to love. And let me state that again. We learn to love. It is not something that we just naturally do. Naturally, we're like, keep everybody away, you know? Naturally, like, this is my house, this is my sanctuary, this is my place of rest. I don't want people invading my world. This is my world. Keep the world outside of my house because this is my little place. See, the reality is this is something that we learn in life. We learn to love because the world doesn't really know what love is. The world looks at love as what can you do for me? And once you can't do something for me, I no longer have any need for you any longer. So the world is really messed up when it comes to love and acceptance and bringing people in. But the reality is love is something that we truly learn how to do. And I learned to love by watching my dad. Because he loved anybody. He didn't care who you were. He didn't care where you came from. He didn't care how much money you had. He didn't care if you could have done nothing for him ever. Really, he would be looking to do something for you. He didn't care. All he cared about was that you were with us and that we loved you. And I learned to love because of my dad, but he learned to love because he really loved Jesus. And when we love Jesus and we see Jesus and we see who he is and his nature and his character, I believe then that's when we really start to learn how to love people and accept people. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Holy Spirit, we invite you here to speak to us. We're such a messed up country right now. We have such messed up views, God, on love and community and acceptance and grace. God, we need the Holy Spirit more than ever. Father, we ask you to come and lead and guide and direct our soul and our hearts today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, turn your attention to the screen for a quick video. In the oldie Bible times, in a little old town called Jericho, there lived a bad dude named Zacchaeus, or Zach for short. He was a greedy tax collector. He cheated people out of their own money and didn't even give it back to them. Everyone thought he was a total bozo. <laughs> On this particular day, Jesus came to town. It was pretty exciting because people had heard about the epic things Jesus had been doing. He was kind of like a famous celebrity and people were hoping maybe Jesus would speak to them, say hi, or even pump out a few miracles. Hey, JC, I've got a spare couch you can sleep on. If you need somewhere to stay, I don't know, dude. Zach wanted to see Jesus too, but because Zach was short, he could only see Jesus from up in a tree. Zacchaeus, I'm going to come stay at your house today. Oh, oh not Zacchaeus. Stay at my place. We made brownies. Maybe it was something Jesus said that day. Or maybe it was just the fact that Jesus himself chose to stay at Zach's house. But something changed inside of Zach, and he decided to believe in Jesus and start being a better bloke too. But Zacchaeus, he's a sinner. Don't stay at his place, dude. No way. Sinner. Sinner. I came to earth to save sinners. And today, my friend Zacchaeus has found life. Salvation! And I've decided to give away half of my stuff to the poor. And I'll pay back all the money I cheated from you guys, and I'll pay it back times four. <laughs> You're a poet and you didn't even know it. Even though Zach was a bit of a bad dude, Jesus forgave him, loved him, and invited him to be his mate. I thought I could read the Bible or we could just watch that. And I was like, that is a hundred times better right there. 
I love the story of Zacchaeus. I know, Ryan, isn't that like your favorite story in the Bible? Love Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verse 5, it says this. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must. I love that line. I, I must. You ever think about this? This is Jesus. He only has so much time on the earth. He knows the day that he's going to give his life up. He knows how much time he has. And he only has a finite time on earth. And he says to Zacchaeus, out of all the places I could be in the earth, I need to be at your house tonight. I need to spend time with you, Zacchaeus. I must. I'm compelled to be a guest in your home. Can you imagine the names that were given to Zacchaeus? I'm sure there weren't great names. Robber, cheater, criminal, thug, gangster. And the reality is this. This was who he was. I mean, if we really look at Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector that was taking taxes on his own people and robbing and stealing and cheating them and making way more money than anybody else. And, and he was holding his own people down. He was a gangster. He was a thug. And Jesus chose to spend time with that guy. That guy. <laughs> I mean, come on. That guy. If you can imagine for a minute, Zacchaeus, I think Zacchaeus probably had died a long time ago. And the reality is that those names that are given sometimes to us, you ever had a name that was given to you and over time you're like, yeah, I guess it's just who I am. I really struggled in school growing up. I had dyslexia. And people would tell me all the time, you're dumb, you're stupid. I can't believe you can't read. And I remember over the course of my life just grabbing onto this identity that, yeah, I'm just, I'm not, I remember telling people all the time, I'm not book smart. Can I read a book? Yeah, I can read a book. It was just a name that was given to me, an identity that I took on. You see what I mean? I'm sure at one point Zacchaeus just went, yeah, I'm a thug. I'm a gangster. This is who I am. This is my identity. But then Jesus comes, and Jesus goes, Zacchaeus. It's like Jesus is going, I haven't forgotten about who you truly are. I know that this world has given you all these names and all these labels and have said all these terrible things about you, but me, Jesus, the creator of the world, the heavens and the earth, the creator of you, I know you intimately, and Zacchaeus, I have not forgotten about you. I know your name. And when that happened, it was like Jesus was saying, Zacchaeus, I have more for you. Zacchaeus, I believe in you. Zacchaeus, I love you. And something came alive in Zacchaeus' soul. There's so much power in true love. There's so much power in truly believing and caring for people. The Bible has so much to say about how we love and how we truly do community because God has designed us for what? Relationship and community. Like God designed us that way. 
That's why you can have like, you know, oh my gosh, it was the greatest video ever. Uh, Drew sent me a video of Daisy. How old's Daisy? Three, okay, uh, Daisy's going, oh my gosh, KC is my best friend and I love him so much and I care about him so much and he sent me this video and it's so cute. Little Daisy with her little mouth and her little voice is talking about her best friend. Why? Because it's in our DNA. God put it in us. He designed us, he wired us for community and for connection. And we live in a world that is anti-community, anti-connection, wants to segregate us all, push us into different groups, push us into different segments, push us into different areas and say, you are labeled as this. And God's going, no, you're not labeled. I want to take the labels off and I want to take this, you know, this idea that you only hang out with these people off and I want to remove all of this and I want to show you what true love is and what true community is. Go with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 13 through 20. Because I think James gives us a picture of community that's really, really great. Verse 13, it says this. Are any, of the, are any believers in your fellowship suffering hardship and disaster? It says encourage them. I love that. What a simple concept, right? Somebody in here is going through a hard time. Yeah, let's encourage you. Let's not stomp on you, you know? I don't know about you, but when I went to church growing up, I felt like I got stomped on. You know, I felt like I was a little ant, and every time I went to church, I got stomped on, you know? And I would leave, like, with no hope, and I'd just feel like there's no grace, and I'd feel like there's, oh, I'm never going to get anywhere with the Lord. Oh, the Bible says encourage people. Love them through the hardship. Encourage them to pray. Are there happy, cheerful ones among you? Encourage them to sing out with praises. Verse 14. Are there any sick among you? Then ask the elders of the church to come and to pray over the sick and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have committed any sins, they will be forgiven. What a beautiful verse in the Bible. Healing and restoration. Isn't this the heart of God? I want to heal and restore. I want to restore people's souls, and I want to heal their lives. This is God's heart 100% of the time. Verse 16, confess and acknowledge you've offended one another and pray for one another to be instantly healed. <laughs> Could you imagine a world like that? Hey, Melissa, I'm sorry I offended you. Instead of just ignoring offense, you know, like we do, every day of our life, like we run from awkward conversations every day, you know? That's why, like, we see somebody coming, we're like, oh, I'm not going that way, in Jesus' name, you know? <laughs> I'm going to hide in the produce section and look at these oranges for a really long time, you know? Could you imagine a world where we go, I know we had a disagreement, but God's bigger than our disagreement. There's grace that can abound. It says, for tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of godly believers. I'm going to skip down to verse 19. It says, finally, as members of God's beloved family, we must go after the ones who have wandered from the truth and bring him, him or she back. Verse 20, 
the one who restores a sinning believer back to God from the heirs of his way, gives back his soul, life from death, and covers over countless sins by their demonstration of love. Two points that I take from this passage today. Number one is this. Are there any sick among you? What a question that James is asking. Are there any sick among you? The Strong's Cordian definition defines sickness as this. Weakness, illness, suffering, calamity, failure, or sickness. Anything that is an ailment that deprives someone from enjoying and accomplishing all that they're called to do in this life. Truth is, a bunch of us are sick. I'm sick. I got weakness. I got failure. I got calamity. I got moments of times that I wish that I was stronger in my faith. I wish that I wouldn't say what I really wanted to say, that I would bite my tongue. I have moments like this, and I think that, yes, there are times where we are physically sick, and we see people healed all the time in Jesus' name. Isn't it amazing when we see the body get healed and restored and renewed? But I really believe that more times in the body of Christ, in a church, on a Sunday morning, we got people that are emotionally sick, running on empty. We're just like a ticking time bomb of emotions that is about to explode. Anger, frustration, doubts, fears, all these things. And we walk in and we're like, hey, good morning. How are you doing? Everything is perfect. Life is great, brother. We're here to be here the Lord today. You know what I mean? And we just hide everything. But inside, we're emotionally dead. We're stripped. I think we're fighting a whole, <laughs> golly, man. Can we just talk about racism for a second? Can we talk about how our country is struggling so hard with it? And it's so frustrating to watch. And how we on Sundays come to church and we live in our segmented worlds and we don't know how to do real community. We're broken people. Psychologically, we're broken. Morally, we're broken. We're having broken hearts. We have people that have pains from their past that we're walking into every Sunday. We are sick people. We're sick people. So how do we see people restored? How do we see people whole and well? Because that's what the world's looking for. Listen, the world isn't looking for another church full of broken people. They go, oh, you're broken just like me. No, they're looking for somebody that goes, they look like me, they talk like me, they, but they're, they're, they're whole. Why are they whole? I, I know their story. I know the junk they went through growing up. How, how can they still have joy even though that they went through such a hard season when they were growing up and their family got divorced and their marriage got ripped apart and, and they got split between their mom and their dad and, and they watched constant chaos all the time. How are they a whole person? How do they have a whole marriage? Because this is really what people are looking for. But James, he says, you know how you find this? You know how we do this? You do this by community. This is how we heal people. Not living segregated in our homes, apart and away from everybody. He said, you find healing and restoration through what? Community. Okay? It says this. 
asked the elders of the church to come and pray over the sick. Pray the prayer of faith and they will be healed of their sickness and the Lord will raise them up and if anyone has committed sin, they will be forgiven. Who are the elders of the church? It's the people of God. It's you, it's me. Obviously, we have elders in our church and I'm so thankful for our elders. We have Mark and Brenda and we have Bill and Etta and we have Ryan and Megan and we have Shannon and Christina and we grab these people together to help us make wise decisions for our church and, and there's many Sundays we have them come on up here and we pray over people and we believe in eldership but the reality is you are elders. We are the people, the body of God and when we come together as one community and we trust each other and we love each other and we communicate far beyond just, hey, how's life going? Oh, it's good. So that happens every Sunday. And, and let me be completely honest. I'm so thankful because you guys are so gracious and so kind and so inviting and so welcoming. When people come to our church, the first thing they tell me all the time is, you are such a wonderfully nice church. And I'm always like, thank you so much. That means so much to us. But we got to get past me just knowing Nick Roller's name. We got to get past just knowing that Nick Roller plays the guitar. We got to get past just knowing that Nick Roller has four kids. Because there's a lot more to Nick Roller's life. And Nick Roller might have some pain or some struggles, some stuff going on in his life. And Nick Roller needs one of you. Nick Roller needs the body of Christ. Nick Roller needs, I'm not saying Nick's messed up at all, but I'm just, I'm just using Nick as an example. See, there's great power that comes when we come together and we go, you know what, Nick, we're going to stand in faith with you. You know, a, a few weeks ago, Doug, do you mind if I share a story when we were texting? A few weeks ago, Doug had a massive interview. Um, he texted me and said, hey, I, I really failed this interview, bombed this interview, uh, but they're giving me another chance. Will you just stand in faith with me? And we did. And I, and I, I sent Doug some, some verses that I was praying out for his life and for his family. And, and he texted me a couple days later, man, I aced this interview. I mean, that's, that's, that's the body of Christ, right? That, that's, what, that's what, this is what James is talking about. He's saying when we're sick and we're hurting, but we come together and we care about each other and we love each other and we pray for each other and we stand in faith, that's when healing comes. That's when restoration comes in our souls. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 says this. Also, I tell you this. If two agree here on earth concerning anything, anything, write that word down, anything, what does that mean? That I can agree with Renee about anything. Anything that Renee is struggling with in her life, we can agree together in faith, stand together, pray, and then what does the Lord say he will do? He says this, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Gosh, isn't that a great promise? Doesn't that sound amazing? Have people going through life with you, not feeling alone? Because I'll tell you right now, the number one thing the enemy wants to do in your life is to make you feel secluded. That's the number one thing he wants. That is why he fights you so hard not to come to church. 
He doesn't want you having these relationships. He doesn't want you having connection. Because he knows that in community, in believers, spending time together, sharing time together, that there may be an answer in Josh. Somebody might be standing out in the parking lot going, hey, you know, this is what's going on in my life. And Josh might have the exact answer for them. And he does not want them to find Josh that day. Right? And it could be simple things. Listen, we make things out to be so super spiritual. Sometimes it's just great life things. I remember one Sunday, um, I was desperately looking for a truck. And trucks are expensive. They are just hard to find, expensive to buy. And I, I just, me and Todd, okay, Todd's not in here today. He's down doing security. But Todd's the greatest guy in the world. And I just said to Todd, I said, Todd, you know anybody selling a truck? He goes, yeah, actually I do. He goes, my, my company's selling a truck. He goes, I think they want six grand for it. Todd goes to work on Monday, talks to his boss, tells him who I am, tells him what we're going to use the truck for. His boss goes, okay, I know we wanted six, but tell him we'll give it for 4500 Todd calls me up, hey, come down, check out the truck. Came down, it's a 09 pickup truck, a little beat up. I don't care, a little mud on the tires. We're good to go, you know? See, that's how the kingdom works, through relationship and connection. Point number two is this. We must go. Verse 19, finally, finally, as members of God's family, we must go after the ones who have wandered from the truth and bring them back. Those people who are wandering, verse 20, for the one who restores a sinning believer back to God from the heirs of his or her ways gives back his soul. Life from death covers a countless number of sins by the demonstration of their love. Listen, I love the de-churched. Some, some churches, and I, and, there's, and I want to make this abundantly clear. Every church has a different grace and a different anointing upon them. Okay. This is why I love Crossroads. You know why I love Crossroads? Because Crossroads is, they have a grace on them to reach people who are in a bar getting drunk on Saturday night. And I love it. I love it. And I love what they're doing. And I love what God is doing through Crossroads. And I love the body of Christ. As the body of Christ, we're not called to slam each body. We're not called to talk bad about each other. We're called to unify together and say, how can we come together to glorify Christ? You have a gift. We have a gift. You have a gift. We're all doing our job. And if we all do our job, we're going to reach people and, and save their souls. Amen? Amen? And one of the things that I believe is a huge call on our house is for the de-churched. People who once went to church, but they're hurt. I don't know why they're hurt. But they had a bad experience at church. They had a bad experience with leadership. They had a bad experience wherever they were. Maybe they were undervalued or maybe they were under really poor, you know, insecure leaders that would, you know, really like push them down all the time. I don't know. But there's people who once went to church but now go, no way. Nope. Not for me. Won't do it. Won't go. Uh, I've been there, done that. I, I, I get it. I like people who are wandering from church to church. They have no passion or vision. 
We all know people like this. They go to one church for like three months, and then they go to another church for six months, and then they go to another church for four months, and they go from church to church to church, and they're just wandering. They're just trying to find something, and the reality is their faith isn't alive. Their faith is really dead. They're just kind of going from place to place. Or people who grew up in church, this was me. I grew up in church, but when I was young, I left church because it was just really bad, <laughs> okay? It was just really bad. I was like, no more purple chairs and no, no more flannel board in Jesus' name, okay? And I'm not wearing a tie ever again in Jesus' name, okay? Can we get an amen for that, okay? I was just like, and there's a day and a time for ties, and I like ties, but I just was like, I'm just, I'm done with this, and I left church. See, there's this huge segment of people in America who are exactly what I'm talking about. And what do they need? They need us to go. It didn't say have them come to you. It says go. It says we must go and find them. I truly believe that the greatest step that our church, Elevate Church, can take is in personal invites. Personally going after people. Going, you know what? Just like Zacchaeus. Jesus personally went to Zacchaeus and said, I haven't forgotten about you. Go after people. Call them up. Hey, Joe. I know you haven't been in church in a long time, but I want you to know God loves you. I want you to know God cares about you. I want you to know God hasn't forgotten about you. I haven't forgotten about you. I want to invite you to my church. You know what Joe's going to say? He's going to go, nope, ain't coming. And you go, all right, Joe, I love you. You know, you know what you do? It's like a week later. Hey, Joe, how you doing? What's going on, man? How's your life? Anything I can do to be a blessing to you? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I got a tree and he cut down. And so Josh goes, yeah, Joe, I got you. I come over and cut down a tree. Hey, you want to go to church? No, man, not going to church. A few weeks later, call up Joe. Hey, Joe, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I just want you to know I love you. I'm praying for you and care about you. God hasn't forgotten about you. This is what James is talking about. <laughs> See, we get so intimidated and we get so fearful when people reject us. We're just like, oh, no. You know, we've all been, you know, rejected. You know, we asked somebody to go on a date and they said no. And we're like, I'm never doing that again, you know, or... You got dumped or something. You're like, that's never happening again. We live in fear. And James is saying, no, we need to go after these people. And then what does he say? We need to cover their sin. We got to cover and protect these people. The reality is this. What are you going to say when you see somebody fail? What are you going to say when one of us fails in this room? Because we're all going to fail. I know, action news, F5, elevate church fails, you know? <laughs> right? We all fail all the time. We're all struggling at moments. But what are you going to do when you find out when somebody fails? You know, are you going to cover them with love and say, hey, nothing to see here, nothing to talk about over here? Somebody's going to go, hey, did you hear about Sarah? You know, I can't believe what Sarah did to Zach. She got mad at him, stabbed him with a butter knife, you know? Yeah, that might happen, you know? That just might happen. But what are we going to do? 
going to get on Facebook? And you're like, oh, my gosh, you can't believe what Sarah did. You know, you make some text. Are we going to go, no. I know that there's problem in this couple's marriage, but we're going to love them, and we're going to protect them, and we're not going to talk bad about them, and we're not going to expose them, and we're going to shelter them and cover them with the love of Christ. That's what we're going to do. Because otherwise we can expose people's sins and failures or we can cover their lives with words of life and hope and love and grace. I think it's so funny when people come to me because, and I understand it, there's this idea like you're a pastor and, and if I share with you what's going on in my life, you're gonna think I'm a horrible person and people tell me things and I'm just like, if you only knew what I did, if you only knew my past. And they come to you and they're so ashamed and they're so full of guilt. And I'm just like, listen, God loves you. I know you made a mistake, but that's why Jesus went to the cross. This is why he paid such a high price so that you could find grace. I want a church that covers sin. We don't cover sin just to allow people to stay in sin. That's not the idea. We talk about this all the time. Grace empowers us to overcome and to have victory in this life. But we cover sin so that when people are struggling, they have a moment where they can breathe. They have a moment where they can relax. They have a moment where the grace of God can shine through you and be hope and life to them. Not a church that exposes people's failures. See, the blood of Jesus, if you think about the blood of Jesus, it covered forgave and restored. When Jesus shed his blood, it covers your sin, it restores your soul. Covers your sin, forgives you, and restores your soul. This is the kind of church that we need to be. So, with that, we've been talking about this for probably, I don't know, back last September, me and Jess, we started having this conversation what is community going to look like at our church? And that's really the question because it's Elevate Church. It's not another church and it's not another denomination and it's not another field. We have to figure out what is it for us. And me and Jess have prayed and we fasted and we spent time with the Lord and we've really, really figured out who we are and what we are. And the reality is it really came out of these moments when we first started the church. When we first started the church, it was in my house. Nick would come. His kids uh, called our church the Donut Church because we had a bunch of donuts uh, at our church, and they couldn't have sugar in the week. And so they would come to our house and eat about 10 donuts each. And, and I would, you know, fill them up with sugar. And uh, we would have church in my living room. And, I mean, we would just have a couple worship songs, and I would preach. And there was probably, what, 25 of us. And... Uh, Levi's mom and dad were there. It was just a small group of us. And, and we decided this one Sunday. We decided, okay, when church is over, let's just all stay and eat food. We're like, that sounds like a really great deal. You know what I mean? I remember the first Sunday we did that. Nick actually brought all this uh, chicken that he marinated, and we grilled this chicken, and we made tacos. And I think we hung out probably till like, 5 in the afternoon. And I'll never forget this. For months and months and months, we would have church, and then every Sunday, everybody would just bring some food, and we'd just eat at my house. And we became so close. We were community. It wasn't a lot of us, but, man, we really cared about each other. We really cared about 
what was going on in each other's lives. And, and, and back in September, the Lord reminded me of that. And to be honest with you, I just like food, you know? Like, I just really like eating. Like, I mean, I mean I'll be honest with you, I started Weight Watchers this week because I like eating a little too much, you know? And, but I like food. And people like food. And people like eating and talking and having community with each other. So we said, you know what? Let's build our community around that. Let's build our community around the table, this place that doesn't judge. And so we're going to start these things called dinner parties, okay? And we're going to have a dinner party every Friday of the year, somewhere in our city. That It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter where culture you came from. None of these things matter. Age, race, None of these things matter. All we do is come together and we eat dinner together. Doesn't that sound great? Share a meal together. Get to know somebody. Love on each other, okay? Some some point in the night, we'll have somebody share for a couple minutes, and really, it's not going to be another church service, okay? No, we're not doing that. We're not having another church service. We're having a moment where we can all sit around a table and go, hey, Pastor Jeff talked about love this week. Let's talk about it. Are you struggling with it? You know? Or are you having victory in it? Because isn't it amazing that when somebody speaks out and shares something, we go, oh, thank God you're dealing with this too. Oh, thank God I'm not alone. Isn't it nice hearing somebody else's voice too? And then at the end of the night, you know what we can do? Remember that portion where I said the leaders, the body of Christ? We just come together and we go, hey, Adam's got a big interview. We're going to pray over Adam. We're going to cover Adam's life. We're going to make sure that he finds victory. Amen? Go ahead and watch this video real quick. Why don't you stand up this morning with me? Really simple. Really simple. We're going to start with four locations. Our four locations is in Franklin, Westchester, Monroe, and the West Side. Four locations. Four homes. Four places. It's going to be one every Friday night, 7 o'clock. If you can't make it to Franklin, you go, oh, it's okay. I can go to Westchester next week. Can't make it to Westchester? Oh, I can go to Monroe. Can't go to West, you know, West Side? Well, I got Franklin. Every Friday, 7 o'clock, we're going to have a dinner party. I mean, Christmas, we'll take a break for Christmas, I guess. Okay. But we're going to be consistent about this. And we're going to have it consistently every week. So that if you go, you know what? I just want to go to Westchester. That's fine. But if you're like, man, I really need friends. I'm going to Franklin, Westchester, Monroe, and the West Side. You're welcome. We don't care. 
We don't care. We just want you to find community. We want you to find people. We want to have an opportunity to go to our coworkers and the people that we love, and they do not want to go to church. But if you go, hey, you want to come with me to a dinner party? You know what they're going to say? Yeah, yeah, I'll go to a dinner party. Cool, there's going to be some cool people there. We're going to talk about Jesus for a couple minutes, but we're going to have some dinner, and we're going to have some fun, and we're going to build some community. I promise you, I promise you, people are going to find life. And people's lives are going to be restored. And they're going to be healed. And they're going to be changed. And they're going to be renewed. And the mission of our church, because our mission of our church is to do what? Feed, tend, and love. Feed, tend, and love. We're going to feed people food in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay? But then we're going to tend their soul. And we're going to love them. Doesn't sound like a good plan. It's going to be a great, great, great season. So here's the deal. Our first one is on June 8th. It's going to start in Franklin. Okay? Huh? Westchester is the first week. What's the second week? You don't remember? Franklin. Second week's Franklin. And then we have Ramon. Ramon? Ramon. Monroe. Monroe. It's going to be good. It's going to be so good. I just, I love people. I find myself in Sam's clubs talking to random people all the time because I'm just like, I just love people. I want to grab them because people need Jesus. Amen? They need Jesus and they need you. It's going to be such a great season. Why don't you grab a hand next to you? Let's just pray over these groups right now and ask God to bless and favor them. Father, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you, we thank you, God, for your healing, restoring nature. We thank you for the way that you love us and invite us into your home and your community. God, thank you for the way that you care so deeply for us. Thank you for the way you forgive and you restore and make us the righteousness of Christ. We thank you for the grace that we find in you. Jesus, we praise you, we honor you, we glorify you for all of it. Father, we commit these dinner parties to you. Father, we want to go and grab people. We want to go grab those who are wandering. Their soul is wandering. Their faith is wandering. They're lost. They're hurting. God, your grace, your grace upon these homes, your grace upon these dinner parties. God, we pray in Jesus' name, the moment that people walk in the door, they feel your love, they feel your grace, they feel your hand reaching out to them. It's their Zacchaeus moment, Father, in Jesus' name. It's their moment that you are calling out to their soul, to their name, welcoming them into the family, welcoming them into our home. Thank you, God. Thank you for the moments, Zacchaeus moments, God, that are going to change families, they are going to change homes, they're going to change lives. God, we praise you. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to be a part of this, to be a part of the body of Christ. 
and to be light and love to one another. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty, mighty, mighty name. And everybody agrees. Said? Amen. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Isn't he so good? He's so good. I told Jess the other day, and I really, truly believe this. Our goal is to have 80% of our church in dinner parties all the time. We believe in this. We believe in this. Listen, you are stronger when you're a part of the pack. Lions in Africa, they do not attack packs. You know, they attack the one that wanders off one who is wandering off by themselves. There's strength in being a part of a group. There's strength in being part of community and strength about being a part of a pact. Amen? Listen, we love you. We love you. Next week, we're going to continue this series. We're going to talk about uh, what food means to our soul and what food means to other people's soul. It's going to be really, really good. We love you. We love you. Have an incredible week. We'll see you next Sunday.